Cause we are doctors, lawyers, mothers, footballers, first minister, boat laureate, we're on the move and I'm telling you, the glass ceiling's going, we're coming through. Rise up, eyes up, take the stage, play your game, don't be afraid. You don't work your far, or Jones of art, always be proud of who you are, girl. Gotta hold your head up high, don't let this moment pass you by. You can be anything you believe you can be, girl. This world is waiting just for you, so go and shine and live the truth. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Women Who Sport podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsors Virtual Wealth, a sport insurance company based in Edinburgh who provide private insurance for people in sport and Sharon Martin who's letting us use the song Get Old Daughter of Scotland for our soundtrack and you can find that on Spotify and Apple Music. So today we're joined by Luca Kinya. She's the amazing Tiffany Naomi Affleck um, and Cooking Yam on Instagram. She's a sports nutrition advisor, currently working with GB Swimming and running her own online business alongside it, as well as trying to get her qualified nutrition status. So today we're going to talk about how Tiffany's got to where she is. We're going to look a little bit at food and supplement debate, the specialised diets and sports, so touch upon vegan and vegetarian and how elite athletes kind of combine that with their full-time training, and then finish it on a little bit of myth-busting. Okay, so to start off then, what first sparked your interest in nutrition? Gosh, okay, so I've always been really, really interested in food. Anyone who knows me knows that I was cooking from a very young age. And so I grew up kind of helping out my nan in the kitchen, got the passion for cooking then and kind of self-trained myself in a, in a little bit of a way. And so I used to watch a lot of cooking programs, love Jamie Oliver, <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, so I kind of grew up on that side of things, so more from the cooking background. And then as I went through school, I did um, biology and then a little bit of PE as well at GCSE. And then just kind of gained a little bit more nutrition knowledge then. Um, but once I got to A-level sort of times so of thinking about further studies, I kind of got the idea of do I want to do dietetics, nutrition type degree, do I want to go into sports science? And sports science was the, the kind of the way into that. Um, so I did a little bit of nutrition on the sports science course here at Loughborough. And then just when I went out and did my placement with British Swimming, really, really gained the passion for nutrition then. And it felt like it was kind of the discipline that came more naturally to me. It's a good way to combine food and sports together as well, I find. Um, so yeah, the interest was definitely generated mostly through that and I've kind of carried it on since then. So was that a year placement that you did during yeah, your degree? Yeah, as part of the degree. So I took a year out, worked with British Swimming um, then. That was quite a broad placement. So I did everything from physiology, a little bit of biomechanics analysis. Um, but whenever I was helping the nutritionist, I just absolutely loved it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah biomechanics was definitely not a strong point of mine. <laughs> the nutrition, the cooking, the food prep, yeah, that's definitely my kind of area. Yeah, and that's amazing that you're like now working with British Swimming after having that experience. Yeah, I mean, I've been really lucky with that actually, because a lot of placement students I had before kind of just went back to studies and either didn't have time to commit back to them or weren't able to uh, to return afterwards. But I kind of kept that little bit of a foot in the, in the door in that yeah. sense, where it would have broken my heart if I spent a year working with everyone then just had to leave yeah um, so it was it was difficult to manage last year going back to final year studies and, and still trying to be around to help out but I, I was lucky enough to do my dissertation my final year project working with them as well and then obviously now that I'm still in Loughborough and I'm working on my own business there is kind of scope to to work with them as nutrition con- 
consultant as well, which is, is really lucky, actually. That's brilliant. So do you go with them to all of the training camps? Or just oh, gosh, definitely them? not. I wish I, I, wish I did. <laughs> they got some amazing places. Um, no, so the only one that I've been on so far was at Miami camp. So that that's was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good one to start on, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, so I went out to Miami with, uh, with Mel Marshall and her, her guys. Went out there for, for two weeks. And yeah, I just took control of all the cooking aspects of things. So it was kind of like a big brunch meal when they got back from training in the morning and then an evening meal for them every day as well, just making sure that all the food was there for them to help themselves. So it's like a big buffet kind of style um, with an evening meal following a theme every single night. So we had like American night with the burgers and, wow. and yeah, Italian night with a lot of pasta and things like that. So it was an amazing experience. And if, if I could do that again, <laughs> you know, that would be amazing. That's definitely the kind of thing I would really enjoy. Was that with sprint group or a distance group or...? Like, does that matter in terms of how much you provide for them in food or the range of food that you need to give them? Um, in a way, it can. So Mel's group, particularly, they're kind of they're more sprint based. Um, so yeah, definitely short distance guys, a lot of power, um, really really fast kind of work they're doing as well. Between the groups, I find that volumes and things like that they can they can be sometimes be quite matched actually. Like if you're a swimmer, you've got to put in the meters no matter what discipline that you're in. Um, but then the food they consume it can really vary. So obviously the guys who are right down the other end of the scale with the um, the endurance work, they're expending a lot more calories. They definitely need a lot more food. Um, but I find everyone's completely different. Even the sprinters, uh, between them, they really vary in how much they eat. Um, so it was important for me to just put on a huge spread to make sure there is definitely enough to go around. Yeah. The last thing I want is the kind of hungry swimmers <laughs> on my back afterwards. So it was definitely put on a huge spread. Plenty of different things for everyone. Obviously, everyone's different in what they um, prefer in terms of taste as well. So it's just really important to me to get a huge spread, massive variety of things. If there's things left over, I'm, I know how to use those anyway, so it's not a problem. So when you were in Miami with them, then you planned the menus and made the food. Yes. You got to go all the way through the process. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, which was amazing for me as well. Massive learning curve, really, because I'm used to, obviously, recipe developing for myself and then for the companies that I work with. And to do that for a sports team was completely different. Um, so I've done similar sort of things when I've been planning menus for things like the breakfast club that I run with, with British women as well. But obviously this was doing, uh, doing a menu for two daily meals. And the evening meals are something that I haven't really done on a massive scale before. I'm, I'm used to kind of cooking for myself, cooking with friends and family, so that up to about five or six people. But yeah, feeding a, a squad of hungry swimmers was interesting. How <laughs> many did you have? Uh, so we had seven swimmers, uh, then myself, I would sometimes cater for, and then a couple of staff as well if they were if they wanted to get involved in the meal. Yeah, cool. But yeah, so like you said, it was a lot of planning beforehand to make sure mm. menu was sorted. So it was planning out what theme, splitting that all down into proteins, fats, carbohydrates, boosters, um, any kind of extra nutrients that we needed in there. And then just making sure that I could actually source it all whilst I was out there. <laughs> so I'd never actually been to America before, so I didn't know anything about any supermarkets over there. So it was, yeah, it took a lot of research to kind of find out where are the best places for me to get all the ingredients from, which I was yeah, so. pretty interesting. And then obviously get over there, got the menu planned, going and shopping for it was also interesting when I've got a massive kind of like a conveyor belt full of food to try yeah. and get through <laughs> and massive shopping bills but <laughs> yeah all about the learning for me it's really really interesting actually I yeah, absolutely loved it cool yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay I'm going to ask you a question because I love breakfast what oh, was your, it's like yeah. the best meal of the yeah. day I agree <laughs> what would be your like best breakfast meal or recipe that you made for the swimmers whilst you're out there for the swimmers gosh uh, this was quite difficult so I did put in put on kind of like a huge breakfast buffet every time. 
Um, things that went down quite well. Always the, the overnight oats, the porridge. Right. Everyone okay. loves it. Even in a hot environment, they still love porridge, which <laughs> I kind of find a little bit strange. I thought it would be the cooler options, but no, the porridge was a massive one. Yeah. And I, whenever I make it, I just load it up with as much stuff as I can. It's never just kind of a box-standard bowl of oats. It has everything in. So it probably got chopped up banana cooked into that as well to make it really sweet. Uh, chia seeds to give it a big boost of omega-3s as well, and a bit more protein in there. Um, just adding in whatever I can, topping it off with things like peanut butter, extra nuts, a bit of granola that I'd make by, by hand as well. Wow. So just anything like that, just really loading up that bowl to make it as nutrient dense as possible. I was so things like that, well pancakes actually, pancakes oh, were never really well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I forgot about that one, that was probably the best one actually. <laughs> just about, yeah, 70 pancakes cooked up or something. <laughs> I always see the breakfast clubs you do for the swimmers on your Instagram and like literally every single morning for breakfast I have eggs on toast and every morning I'm like, Rona, you need to try something new because <laughs> yeah, you're so eggs on toast, but yeah, I do like changing it up and I've yeah. definitely got a sweet tooth as well, so if it's yeah. me personally, I never have a savoury breakfast just because I'm all better sweet. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but obviously, yeah, definitely trying to change things up. Eggs on toast, fantastic source of protein and carbohydrate as well. But there's loads of different ways to get those same nutrients just from different foods, really. Yeah. So I think that's what I always try and do with, with things like Breakfast Club, is show them, okay, there's all these different ingredients that you can use. Just pick out, try different things, see what really suits you as well. Mm, yeah. So yeah, it's all really interesting. But yeah, breakfast, definitely my favourite one. <laughs> So with becoming a like a sports nutrition advisor, what qualifications did you have to go through to get that? So you had your, your undergrad degrees in sports science. Yep, that's right. And then what did you do on top of that to get more specialised in nutrition? Okay, so when I was on placement, because I found I had that passion for nutrition, I really wanted to kind of upskill myself and get a little bit more education, more formally. Um, so obviously on a sports science degree, you do cover a little bit of that if you choose the right modules, but it's never anything that's kind of like a standalone qualification. And so as part of what I saw as kind of CPD whilst I was out on placement, um, I took originally a short course in sport nutrition, just to kind of give me a little bit of a flavour of it, get a bit more information about the topic. Um, and then I decided to progress that and do a full, um, it's called, very technical, <laughs> it's like a level five EQF um, sport nutrition advisor qualification. Um, so I did that alongside placement, which again was quite challenging. <laughs> uh, it's all online distance learning, so I could kind of go along and do it, but it was, um, I think it was twice weekly lectures, and then a lot of quizzes and assignments to do on top of that as well. And um, so that was kind of like the initial starting ground. Obviously, I did a module in it in my final year as well, and now I've kind of taken it upon myself to really just push myself and educate myself more. Um, to become a registered nutritionist this time next year, hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, so I'm currently doing another advanced diploma in performance nutrition this time. So it's really specific to sport and especially applied sport as well, because that's my, my main passion, really. So to become, to call yourself a nutritionist, then what qualification do you need, like, I don't warrant that? Okay, so this is a really, really interesting yeah. area, yeah, because there are a lot of people out there on things like social media, so Instagram definitely is an, is an area where you might see this. Um, so to actually call yourself a nutritionist, you need to be qualified in nutrition either through like a, um, an undergrad degree or a master's degree, and it has to be nutrition. If, you're, if you do dietetics, then you become a dietitian. So it does have to be, uh, it does have to be related to nutrition. Um, so master's level nutrition courses are probably the best way to go about doing it. But there are a lot of different ways actually, different routes to get in there. So I guess I'm kind of going down a less conventional route in a way um, through doing it through the diploma route. And so after I do that diploma and I again the qualification, I actually need to try and register to be an accredited sport and nutritionist as well. And um, so you do that by registering for the sport and exercise nutrition register. 
And what that allows um, kind of like clients to do as well is look you up and see that you've definitely got all of those really, really essential qualifications. And it gives you a lot of peace of mind as well. And actually, you've, you're a lot more trustworthy if you've got that sort of background behind you as well and a little bit more protected. So it is really important to make sure you've got the right standards of qualification, but then you've also applied to those kind of uh, regulatory bodies as well. Yeah, because I think it must be quite frustrating like when you, you've gone through that whole process and you've put in the hard work to get those qualifications in on Instagram. It's, you see it quite a lot. Yeah. People naming themselves nutritionists and yeah, marketing nutritionists. Yeah. And you can be like, well, you haven't been through it. Like, I don't understand. But yeah, they'll get a lot of business because I guess people Yeah, exactly. Aware. If you can put nutritionists down, then you definitely will get a lot of people coming to you rather mm. than if you if you turn it into something else. And um, but it is a really long path to go down and it's it's a career at the end of the day as well. And um, so by calling yourself a nutritionist if you haven't gone through that really lengthy process and put in all that hard work to get such such difficult qualifications it kind of ends up devaluing all the people who have gone through that yeah. as well because I do know quite a lot of sports nutritionists have been in the industry for such a long time and have worked so hard to get to where they are and yet you've got people who kind of hop on a six week course and then you know they, yeah. they call themselves nutritionists afterwards yeah. and I think in a way social media definitely doesn't help because you can kind of categorize what your blog or your instagram page is termed as and even on facebook as well and you you can choose the term nutritionist even if you're not a you can literally just click a button yeah and, yeah. yeah. and so it's, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a minefield in that sense really yeah. because anyone can put that on and yeah. who's there to to stop them yeah. or to ask the question have you got the qualification so yeah. yeah, it's really interesting actually, but it's definitely one to look out for, especially for sports people and athletes especially, if they are looking to get the services of a nutritionist to make sure they're going to someone who is, you know, adequately qualified. I think as well as like devaluing people that have gone through that process, it's also almost like an ethical issue, like you can't be like, giving advice yeah. and claiming to be knowledgeable on something that you're not qualified in. Exactly, and that's that's the reason why I'm so motivated to, to get that qualification <laughs> yeah. as well and to get to, you know, to apply to the register because it's so important for me personally to make sure that other people can trust that I'm mm-hmm. you know, using the right sources of information and that I know what I'm talking about as well. Because <laughs> I get so many people who ask so many really interesting questions to me and the last thing I want to do is kind of be unable to, yeah, to misinform them or be unable to answer their question in, in the right sort of way as well and not give them any kind of sound evidence supported advice. So yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely an interesting area though. Yeah. So where do you go for your information for advice? So like, it's kind of in the media a lot of the moment, like vegans and things like that. Where's the best place to go to get information? Like, how do you kind of equip yourself with knowledge and the right facts for athletes? Well, it's, it's really difficult actually. So it, I guess it depends who you're talking about. Me personally, I would always definitely try and look at journal articles if I can. Yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, if you've done any any sort of degree work, then you know that you've always preferred to journal articles, and um, because they're the most current and up to date um, ways of getting kind of evidence informed um, nutrition advice or any kind of other discipline as well. Um, so that's the biggest one I'd look for. I never would do a quick Google search and choose the top <laughs> result because I don't think I'd find something that, that's that trustworthy by doing it that way around. Um, but yeah, so journal articles are definitely one that I tend to go to the most. If I have a really quick question, I just go to my mentor. So he's the sport nutritionist for British Swimming. Absolutely amazing, taught me so much, so much really, really uh, important advice. 
both about kind of like the practical aspects of nutrition, but then also all the kind of the soft skills as well. So the people skills, building relationships with athletes and kind of conveying the right messages to them as well. Mm. Um, so that's also quite important because the last thing that I want is for an athlete to either feel like they can't come and ask me these sorts of questions, whether that's because they don't think I've, I've kind of got the knowledge to answer the question or that I'm going to tell them something no, they don't want to hear. Um, but if it's athletes themselves looking to get this information, again, I definitely wouldn't recommend a quick Google search or even anything like a social media search either, yeah. because it's just absolutely full of so many different uh, yeah, misconceptions, definitely one of the biggest ones. And then just advice that isn't backed up by evidence, I think that's the worst thing. Um, you get a lot of claims out there for, this worked for me, so you should try this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's, you know, there's so many really, really bad examples of where people have taken that advice way too far. And it's, I know it's easy to do because everyone is on social media all the time. So you, you easily see these messages pop up and this advice pop up and it's, it's kind of having a bit of a filter, taking a step back and going, okay, well, where's that come from? Where's the evidence yeah. supporting things? And our reading journal articles isn't the most interesting. So there's different ways of getting that information. Things like infographics, there's amazing nutritionists out there who put all their material into infographics to make it really easy for uh, for sports people and people who aren't too scientifically minded and um, to get that information that they need. So that's probably one of the biggest ones. So when, uh, like, while we're talking about Instagram, you have your own Instagram page called The Cooking Yam. So do you want to like, tell us a bit more about that? And our biggest question is why the cooking yam? <laughs> okay, so the Instagram page I started, gosh, more than 18 months ago now, which is absolutely flown by. So again, that was another little kind of side project that I had whilst I was on placement with British Swimming. So I had a couple of young swimmers that I was working with, and they kind of had a little bit of an interest in food and in cooking and wanted to upskill. And I went, okay, well, I can kind of look for some recipes. I do a lot of research in recipes myself, come up with a few things, how about I share them? And so we kind of came up with the idea all together that how, how about I kind of start an Instagram page, share the recipes that I was making myself. These guys could follow it. And if they were interested enough, they could you know, give the recipes a go themselves. And it sort of just grew from there, really. So I didn't really have any sort of expectations from it at all. But it kind of took off, generated a lot more interest. Love for especially, and then swimming especially as well. And it's just kind of grown outside of that now, which is absolutely amazing. I didn't expect it to. Um, but to come back to your question about the name. <laughs> um, so when I originally started out the Instagram page, I was really desperately trying to come up with names for it. The cooking yum was something that first popped into mind I thought if I don't like it I can change it afterwards not a problem um, so it actually comes from the yam itself so I'm from the West Midlands a little town called Willenhall and technically the area that I'm from is called the Black Country and people from that area are typically called yam yams because of the accent <laughs> um, so we tend to say if we, if we want to say how are you if you say it's someone who's local you go how am you and so because of that we get called yam yam so that was something i always grew up with because i thought okay look piece of home and then yam also with food so yeah. i kind of brought the two together so it's kind of like my background we're bringing and been bringing that into food as well oh that's, that's, it. It. that's so good. good cooking yam which is where i'm from yeah. and also the food the cooking yam and yeah. i just stuck with it i thought it's it's a bit catchy it's different yeah. it's kind of it just sums up who i am really a little bit quirky yeah, it's actually, <laughs> when we were first talking about like what are you on the podcast, we we would always say the cooking yam. Yeah, that's what I've known as now. It's just yeah, So on over Instagram, then you sell like you 
sell like recipes or what I've seen recipes like like brownies and like yeah yeah I do which again that was another turn that I didn't expect all the business (laughs) to take but I'm kind of just taking anything that comes at the moment yeah Yeah. um so I think it was about March time this year actually I had a couple of the swimmers I was working with who try things in breakfast club and they went okay well how about if we if we could order these from you would you be able to do it and I said, okay, I've never done it before. I <laughs> never knew there'd be some kind of demand for this, but why not? Let's give it a go. And it just kind of took off from there, really. So it went from kind of a couple of swimmers ordering from me, got a little bit more regular, and then people started to see what I was doing on Instagram because I posted on my story or do a couple of posts with it. And yeah, it just kind of generated quite a lot of interest. I think everyone's really interested in sport nutrition products as it is, but everyone loves treats. If you can get treats that have got a little bit of a healthy twist on them, it yeah. feels even better and there's a little bit less guilt there and people always think. So yeah, it's kind of taken off from there really. And I published the menu back in, I think it was about September sort of time. So there's a full menu on there now as well for people to order from. I've had to kind of die down the orders a little bit lately because I've just been so busy with everything else that I've done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're still going. <laughs> yeah, all still happening. Yeah. yeah, and I've got to that point now that wherever I go, people just expect food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is awful if I turn up on poolside. Oh, is it breakfast club? What was the food? I'm, maybe not always. <laughs> There's more to be. Yeah. Yeah, which is fantastic. I mean, it's good. But I don't know. It's not, yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a difficult thing managing those expectations all the time. I have to go prepared anywhere I go now. <laughs> How do you manage everything that you do? Because you're working with British women, you're like running your Instagram and selling things online, you're doing workshops. Like, you yeah. must be crazy busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the studying comes in. And oh, it's, yeah, you saw yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a little bit crazy. I also have a, a part time job on campus as well <laughs> for the Careers Network that oh, I've had for about three years or so since I was in second yeah. year. And that's something I still have to do every week as well. Yeah. Um, actually, when, when I graduated, I came up with the idea of let's just take kind of like a year to see what I really want to do, to test out ideas with the business and just see how it's received. And where I'm now, I'm just so kind of far ahead of where I expected to be, yeah. which is amazing. But I probably didn't plan for every different projects I would have on at once. Um, but I'm I'm really lucky actually. I get really well supported by friends and and family as well. So I kind of I have people to keep me sane. Yeah. <laughs> and then especially when when I've got really busy times on, I've kind of got um really good friends that I can draft in to give me a little bit of help as well. So actually I had my sister down to visit last weekend, which was nice to kind of, it was lovely to see her, but then she also had to help me out with some orders as well. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, come on girl, come and give me your hands. But yeah, I'm really lucky that I have, I've had people there to help me out whenever I really need it. And I've got better at asking and accepting help, <laughs> help as well yeah. now. I think that was one thing that kind of let me down before. I always tried to take on as much as I could and do it all myself and as much as it's good for kind of building independence and I'm an amazing multitasker as well so it's it's great in that sense but definitely there's times when I know I need to just kind of slow down a little bit and just accept the help exactly. when it's there as well yeah. definitely I'm the same like such a yes man like yeah no, exactly. I'm like okay okay and you're like god like I, I actually can't like do what I need to do for yeah. all yeah. of these things yeah. and it's it's awful I mean I think I'm one of the worst for it and a lot of people in sports are the worst for it because they can give out advice and it's so hard to actually take that on yeah, advice yeah. as well so I'd say to friends and I'd say to, to athletes as well make sure you get a bit of downtime in there make sure you're not taking on too much I need to actually listen to myself sometimes yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. so true it's yeah the same, I think it's an athlete thing yeah for yeah, sure yeah definitely so you've mentioned like a lot of what you've got going on. Have you got any kind of like future goals or plans? Like what's next in the cooking elves world? Okay, well, like I said, there's a kind of a demand for each little bit of what I'm doing so far. So, 
so whether that's the workshops they're definitely taking off now I find myself doing quite a lot of those which I absolutely love um, the orders as well yeah there's definitely some on there people want healthy treats <laughs> and then yeah everything else to do so all the recipe development as well I'm, I'm really fortunate that I work with um, a few different companies so especially sports brands um, to develop recipes with their products and I love doing all of those things and I definitely want to keep doing more of the same thing um, but I think Miami kind of spoiled me <laughs> I've got a taste for the performance chef lifestyle now and that's definitely a real personal career ambition um, so my personal aim is definitely to get to that point where the majority of what I do is that kind of performance chef um, sort of work. So what I've noticed is there's a lot of amazing nutritionists out there, yeah. a lot of really talented chefs, and a lot of the time, especially in kind of like sports such as football, for example, where there is a lot of um, a lot of money there, you have the two kind of working separately. So you have the nutritionists who come up with all the different diet plans for the athletes, and you've got the chefs there who create all this incredible food but there's never anyone there to kind to of tie the two together. Yeah. And I know there's definitely some some clubs, for example, who do have that resource. So Man City is a really good example of that. They do have a performance chef there, and he's kind of one of my idols, really, Johnny Marsh. Um, but other sports don't really have, have that in place. And so I think there's kind of just a really natural fit there, actually, to bring the cooking and the nutrition together. Yeah. And it probably would actually make things a lot more practical and a lot easier as well. So that's my personal ambition is to be that kind of middleman or yeah. middle woman. It's a women who support podcasts, be that middle woman <laughs> <laughs> and just bring the two together really and be that yeah, be that person right in the middle. Yeah. I can create amazing tasting food, but it's also got so much um, so much that nutritional yeah, background behind it as well. Yeah. So that's the personal aim. And then just try and grow the rest of the business, business. Yeah, behind yeah. that, which obviously I would need a lot of help with. I yeah. can't do it all myself. But it seems like you're totally on track for that to be possible. Oh, thank like, you. Like, all yeah, so. <laughs> I see that we could be your like delivery guys, but we would eat all. We'll get an order. Exactly. It'll be a yeah. It's one of those who go. Oh, it was lost in transit somewhere. I would do many times. I think I'd lose a few customers through that. I don't know if I can risk it. Have you got a sport that you would like to work for, to be Ooh. like a performance chef, if you like? I love working in swimming. Yeah. To find swimmers aren't too fussy in how they eat, so I can, I can make anything, they'll eat it. Um, so in other sports, I have no idea whether that'd be any different. Maybe it's unique to swimming, I don't know. Um, football's one that I've always loved, personally anyway, I love watching football, huge yeah. football fan. Um, so working in football would be amazing as well. Mm. I know it's a completely different environment. It would be very high pressure, and there's a lot of the, obviously the culture as well in football. Um, so it would be interesting to kind of see how I got in, in that definitely. Mm. But other than that, I'm kind of just open to getting involved in different mm. sports, which is it's kind of how I've grown up anyway. I just get stuck into anything. So yeah, I'm not really too fussy. I just work with whoever and as many people as I can. Just learn as I go along. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is really cool. Like, definitely, like playing in a team sport, it's always yeah. The nutritionist tells the chef what to make. Like yeah. it'd be, it'd be so cool having somebody like in your team that could do both. Yeah, yeah, it just it kind of clears up all those kind of mixed messages as well sometimes because a lot of time yeah. what the chef comes up with <laughs> and what the nutritionist asks for, they're too yeah, completely different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've heard about it so much as well from so many different sports. Of especially if you go on anything like training camps or competitions. 
how you'll turn up there and the food is just not what anyone expected. Yeah. The nutritionist can <laughs> put in as much work as possible and even if they've really tried to plan that menu, what gets delivered often isn't exactly what was asked yeah. for. So, yeah, it's one of those really difficult areas and actually food has such a huge impact on people, whether it's through actually how they are fueled for, for training or for competition, but then also the psychological aspects of it as well. Like I know so many athletes who, if they don't get exactly what they're kind of what they're expecting or what they always have they completely feel like they're thrown off and they won't train or perform as well so I think it's actually such a huge and really important aspect of training on competition as well so so we've had on on camp we always have pancakes before a game yeah and (laughs) if you get to the dining room and the pancakes have ran out it's like game game over yeah Yeah, you're like going on the table and being like, how many pancakes have you had? Like, <laughs> and you <laughs> had two. No, you're like, I've had none. Yeah. You go around making players feel so guilty. Yeah. They've had your pancakes. And you should. Pancakes are for sharing. Oh, <laughs> so good. Yeah. So with like a lot of what you do is on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you like compartmentalise that? Like how do you like stop yourself saying, no, I can be bad for it. Like spending all day scrolling through your phone. That could be a challenge, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I know a lot of people who do spend like, the majority of their free time on, on social media. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are guilty for it as well. It's so easy to just kind of check the phone, look what the notifications are. Then it, that's that gateway, really. Yeah. You see you've got a notification, then you're on there, you've opened it, yeah. and then you can't help but scroll. Yeah, <laughs> so I think, like, yeah, it's just one thing after another yeah. in that sense. Um, I think because I'm so busy, I don't often get the opportunity to check as much. Um, which personally I see as a really good thing because I actually don't really like social media that much <laughs> which few people find quite surprising yeah, yeah I'm not a massive fan of it and you try and get a hold of me on messages shot. it's not always fantastic <laughs> I will apologise everyone who knows me knows I'm not the fastest reply I'm sorry <laughs> um, yeah so I definitely do try and as you say compartmentalise that um, so I kind of have times in the day when I'll, I'll either check and respond to people or that I post so a lot of what I do it's either breakfast related so that'll be kind of early morning, make the breakfast post, come off for a few hours, get on with my work, maybe check back in about lunchtime sort of time. So if I ever have any natural breaks in my day, that's kind of when I try and, and try and check things. Mm. Um, evenings, normally post a dinner meal, so I'll take a quick uh, scroll through then as well, kind of keep up with people I've got good relationships with on there, um, respond to anyone who's got any questions or feedback. Um, but other than that, I really try and limit my time on there. Yeah. Because like you said, it is really, really, really easy. It's just going to get stuck in. Mm-hmm. And it's just one thing after another. You scroll, you like something, you move yeah. on. And yeah, you can end up really spending quite yeah. a long time on And you can end up in like crazy spirals. And you're like, I don't know this person. Like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't exactly. Want to be here. Yeah. 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 I want my brother's girlfriend's ex-husband's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It's, yeah, I think that whole recommended for you kind of thing. Yeah, that stop. Stops, so yeah, it's yeah. just a minefield then. But yeah, it's and personally, it is important for me to kind of to switch off from that yeah. because there are days when because I'm so busy doing other things, Instagram kind of falls to the wayside a little bit. But because it's it, well, it's where I kind of started the whole yeah. business, and it is an essential part of the business as well that I have to make sure there is content on there for everyone every day. There's that expectation there now. Yeah. Um, but it is really important for me to kind of realise that if I have had quite a busy day that is just another extra piece of work yeah. that continues into the evening and I kind of just have to self-enforce a little bit of a home time kind of thing now mm. try and get to bed half past eight and go that's it now my work day is done I yeah. can't check anything else um, which means I might be slightly slower responding to people but at the same time if I'm tired I don't want to be kind of compromising and not sending someone a really good detailed high quality reply as well I'd rather save it to the next day 
put the effort into responding well and, and kind of just save myself uh, yeah save myself the spiral of Instagram <laughs> do you have an iPhone? no <laughs> no I'm not a phone user iPhones <laughs> now tell you screen time so on a Sunday you get like a pop up like oh, telling wow. you like how much you spent on your phone that week and it's yeah sometimes it's, it doesn't make <laughs> you feel good yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we've got some really good information on your background and touched upon what you do. Um, this kind of second half of, of the podcast and what's come through a lot over our Instagram is this food v supplement debate. Yeah, okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Right, so this is one of the biggest topics in sport nutrition. Um, so if we were to think back probably about 10, 15 years ago, supplements, yes, they were still massive, but they were probably more weight control supplements that were out there at the time. And since then, the sport nutrition industry has grown, sports and fitness themselves have grown as well, and you find so many more people who are in, interested in sports and fitness and looking after their health, which is absolutely amazing. But there are a lot of companies who've kind of jumped on the back of this to come up with all these kind of branded essential sports nutrition product, products. Um, so obviously sports nutrition products, they're absolutely amazing in terms of supporting athletic diets and they can be really good options for members of the general public who are quite active as well. Um, but yeah, there are definitely a lot of uh, misconceptions out there in terms of who needs supplements and what are supplements as well. That's one of the biggest topics actually. Um, so I was lucky enough to go down to London for a conference a couple of weeks ago now for LGC Group and part of them is actually Inform Sport, who I'm sure you guys are really familiar yeah. with. So it was Inform Sports, the representatives kind of having this open debate with sports nutritionists from all across the country on what is a food and what is a supplement. Because it is just, it's a little bit of a grey area in, in some respects as well. And what we came up with is that a supplement is anything that supplements the diet and provides an extra source of nutrients. Um, so that could be a really classic protein shake or protein bar. And then it also comes down to things like vitamins and mineral supplements as well, so like multivitamins, for example. Um, but yeah, there is definitely a massive, massive grey area in terms of what is definitely a supplement and what is a food, and especially who actually needs a supplement as well. That's a really big area too. Yeah, because we are, we are like subject to drugs testing like even i get nervous now like if i'm in the supermarket and like if something says high in protein or added yeah, protein yeah. or even like those like bone spalls like things like that yeah. like, I'm, like all of us are just like we're, we're not getting them because yeah, yeah it, it's a massive risk as well i mean for people who are involved in sports athletes themselves definitely understand the risk and know far too many people who've kind of been yeah been kind of tested positive for things they would never have expected to be in the mm -hmm. foods they're consuming and i think that is a massive issue with that industry growing is that there's a lot more brands out there now than there ever have been um, and not a lot of them are actually informed sport approved as well so informed sport for, de for athletes definitely is the best place to go when you are considering consuming sport nutrition products because it, it guarantees every batch of that product has been tested mm -hmm. for any sort of banned substances so it does give athletes that peace of mind that it doesn't contain anything that could cause them to, to fail the drugs test um, but like you say, it's added into so many different foods now that you might not even expect. Yeah. I mean, if I take American exam as an example, when I went out shopping, I found two products which had got whey protein in that I never would have expected. Um, so one of them was standard porridge, but it was labelled protein porridge. Thankfully, check checked the ingredients and it did have whey protein added. Again, this wasn't tested, so if I was to give that to athletes, potentially could cause them to, to fail yeah. the drugs test. Not saying that it definitely would, but you just you don't know where that protein's come from and the quality of it. So, you know, that was a big risk there. Another thing was yoghurt. 
yeah, never yeah, a high protein yeah. yogurt. I mean, it's easy to think, oh, maybe it's just Greek yogurt because mm. Greek yogurt is really high in protein naturally. But no, this just had pro- whey protein concentrate just added in. Um, yeah, so yeah, it, in terms of that, it is really important for athletes, especially to just double check everything. I know it's it's time consuming, but it's really important just for your own peace of mind, really, to make sure you are you are sticking to those rules. But yeah, it's in absolutely everything there, like granolas, cereals, all yeah. that kind of thing as well. You just find it absolutely everywhere. Yeah, I guess there's nobody like regulating that. In exactly. Yeah. Athletes. So there, I mean, obviously, your your well trusted sports nutrition brands, they've all been um, sport informed, sport approved. Sorry, but it tends to be a lot of these kind of the ones that are newer to the market and almost like the budget brands as well, because there's so many of these new companies coming around all of a sudden. And they, they often don't have the budget to subject all the stuff to testing as well and things like that. So it is really important to look at the quality of what you're buying as well. If something looks cheap, maybe it hasn't been uh, been kind of gone through that rigorous process to make sure there's nothing that shouldn't be in there. Or I guess a lot of them, I guess, brand themselves as food. And that's yeah, the way exactly. around it. That's, that's food, really they don't area, yeah. then have to, I guess, meet those supplement requirements. Yeah, which is do have it's where it's really difficult. And that's why the whole of the yogurt and the, the granules yeah. and the cereals, that's one of the biggest ones. Because we know, I mean, fortified foods have been around for a really long time. And that was another debate that we had. So fortified foods, it's quite similar, actually. So you might add in vitamins and minerals into, into a food. And cereals are probably one of the best examples of it. Mm. So a lot of cereals, they're labelled, they've got added in vitamin C, um, vitamin D, sorry, um, iron as well, and other different uh, nutrients in there. And it's, it, there's a lot of crossover there. So you get those foods, but then it's a supplement. It's, it's really hard, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is a difficult one. And what about with them, um, do you think when, I guess when you're advising athletes, do you always take a food first approach? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think that's really, really important because it's far too easy to see supplements as a bit of a quick fix. Yeah. I know, I've, yeah, I've known it happen far, far too easily. Everyone wants that, what, what can I get the easy win from? Yeah. And supplements can be a way to achieving that. I mean, I'm definitely not saying there's, there's no place for supplements. They are really important, especially on certain type of diets, which we'll probably come on to a little bit later. And then also for the convenience aspects as well. I understand athletes are often short on time, quick turnaround between different training sessions as well, and that recovery is really essential. And that's why supplements can often have a really big impact, actually. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a difficult one, really. But yeah. I would always advise food-first approach. Food make sure the overall diet is really high quality. Provides a range of vitamins, minerals, all the other nutrients that you need as well. Try and get your protein needs covered by the diet first because it definitely is possible, especially if you do eat meat and dairy products in the diet. And failing that, then then look at supplements to support that. So I used to rule before, and often in our kind of intense training camps, we'd be advised to take like SIS immune supports, like Vit C tabs and yeah. things. And I'd swear by them, and I thought, yeah, they're really good. And sometimes mm-hmm. now, so use them. But what what could I take instead of using that SIS tab, for example? Okay, so vitamin C found in so many citrus fruits. Okay, so, so like, yeah, having so just oranges. one citrus fruit would do the exact same thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, things like the SIS, um, whether it's tabs or gels, anything like that, um, especially in terms of vitamin C, they're just really, really concentrated forms of, of that right, vitamin. Okay. Um, which means, again, for the convenience aspect, they can be a little bit easier. Um, but there are so many foods that are rich in vitamin C, definitely. Citrus fruits, so your oranges, lemons, limes, anything like that. Kiwis are actually an excellent one. I think I read somewhere that one single kiwi has about like 150% of your daily intake of vitamin C. Well, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah. You can just eat your kiwi. We're such fools, honestly. Yeah. I can tell us anything. Yeah, you just, just, oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's like 20 quid. 
it's like for yeah. however many yeah and it's it. probably about if you got to somewhere like little for example it's about 20p for a kilo it is okay. <laughs> yeah there's different Brilliant. ways again it's just it's just knowing that information really yeah, yeah. Um, berries as well I absolutely love berries one probably my, my favourite fruits berries are excellent source of vitamin C as well I mean, mm. is it too difficult to shove a handful of berries on your breakfast in the morning? It's, yeah. Yeah, I it's think it's those. like a mindset thing. It so is. Like, yeah. I'm taking this, I'm putting my drink, yeah. like, it, in my head. It's, it's almost like a placebo effect. Exactly. Whereas I'm like, yeah, oh, I'm just doing berries. I have this daily, but if I take this as well, mm. I'm not going to get ill. I don't know. I think it's mm. in your head. And then if you get a sniffle, you're like, it's because of the government. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I think the important thing about all of this is this when we talked about that was kind of the rigid habits athletes have and it's yeah. kind of a if I have this then this will happen yeah. sort of thing and if yeah. you take that hope then all hell breaks loose and it's am I not going to train well am I not going to perform well am I going to get ill and at the end of it you could end up not performing well you could end up ill through so many different factors yeah. and it won't just be one single thing you could end up ill because your training test intensity has gone up you might not be eating as much food as you need to and so your immune system is a little bit suppressed that's why you get ill you know there's so many different things that could cause it it never well very rarely is going to be just that single thing especially not if it's oh i didn't have this food today or i didn't have this supplement today so yeah there's, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot to it i think we probably have to get better at looking at the wider picture like i know like me when i was like 18 and i like first started taking protein i would in my head it was like as soon as i finished the gym i would have a protein shake mm-hmm. and it didn't matter i would i would do that regardless of if i was like going right home to have like chicken pasta or if I wasn't eating for hours it was like I always had this protein shake because in my head that was what you did like after the gym like people had a protein shake whereas yeah now that I'm a bit older and I guess a bit more educated on it you're like actually if like if you're after the gym you're going home and yeah having like a chicken breast and you don't need to mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a really important one. Like you said, it's it comes down to the education a lot of the time. Yeah. I think it's difficult because we're all creatures of habit. Yeah, and once we've done something a couple of times, it's easy to just get kind of stuck in that and just think, oh, I'll just do that either because it's easy or just mm-hmm. because it becomes natural to us. Um, but like you said, it's really important to just be kind of self-aware in a way and just know that if you're going home afterwards and you're going to prepare a really good nutritious meal for your recovery uh, meal afterwards, there probably isn't too much need to get that really quick hit of protein if you are going home short space later and eating as well. I think things like the shakes, they're definitely really convenient and easy ways to get the protein that you need for recovery. Um, but they're probably best used if you've got really short recovery between training sessions and you practically haven't either got time or just the ability to prepare a, a full nutritious meal. But yeah, so there's definitely a place for them. It's just knowing when, when you need yeah. to use them, really. With the kind of protein discussion, do you think that you need to, like with getting, because obviously the, the daily recommended protein, it's like, it's, it's, it's 1.5 oh, so that's very kilograms. Or is um, that another thing? <laughs> Um, everyone always says the answer to everything in nutrition is it depends oh. <laughs> and that is very very true for protein yeah and um, so yeah so protein requirements really really vary depending on a lot of things um so one of the the baseline requirement for sedentary people so people who aren't really exercising much is about 0.8 grams per kilogram of body mass per day um, but then that really varies across athletes as well it can go from kind of one to 1.2 grams a day and um, per kilogram a day for endurance athletes strength athletes obviously a lot more um so there is a massive massive range of protein requirements so it's it is probably down for individual individual athletes to talk to their nutritionists and go what do my protein needs look like 
and again that can even vary depending on what training block they're in and what kind of training they're doing yeah. it really does vary yeah when they get in your goals like if you're losing yeah exactly if you're, if you're on um yeah if you're on muscle mass gain if you're mm. on weight loss and things yeah it really does vary so basically speak to a nutritionist a yes. qualified one yeah exactly one that's, that's, yeah, that's, the, that's the key <laughs> thing in that really obviously if you're if you're not an elite athlete it's very different you can self-manage it or you can go to a nutritionist I know personal trainers try and do diet plans as well so there's there's all that kind of area to it as well which is interesting <laughs> um, but yeah it really just depends and you know not everyone's the same we've all got different goals like maintenance gain loss we all do different styles of training so it's just really important to kind of individualize everything in nutrition really either depending on what we how, like how we like to eat and what we like to eat right down to those things like uh, nutrient requirements as well it really does vary cool so Guess the next sort of debate that we're going to have is talking about oh, debate. I think it's just you like educating us, <laughs> us asking questions. We're definitely not debating. Um, it's about like specialized diets and sports. Right, right. So yeah, I know it's something that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's that conversation of is there an optimum diet in sport? Like, can you be an elite athlete on a, a vegan diet? Or I know there's loads on my Instagram, and I have no idea why about like keto diets, which yeah, I read about yeah. them, and I think that sounds absolutely horrendous. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess we wanted your view on yeah, if, if, is there a best diet? Okay, so this definitely ties into what we kind of just talked about. So it's me saying that everyone is an individual it's really important for people to find out what works for them in terms of what they enjoy eating as well i think that's a massive thing that people keep forgetting about it's so important to enjoy our food there's no point punishing yourself to follow a really strict specific diet if you don't enjoy it in the end of the day um but yeah so it's really important to kind of just think what works for you in terms of your own personal goals the demands of your sport as well that's really important to know and that's where a lot of this kind of the confusion about whether things like vegan diets or free from diets, whatever that might be, whether they can be appropriate for sport or not. Um, there are now far more vegan athletes out there than there's ever been before. And they're kind of proving that you can perform well on a vegan diet, actually. But what I'd always say is it has to be a very well-planned diet. I think that's the most important thing whenever you start kind of taking out certain food groups, because there are a lot of deficiencies which are associated with those sorts of diets. Um, so that, that spans from kind of any sort of free from diet as they're labelled. So it could be if you're taking out gluten, gluten's found in a lot of carbohydrates. And you guys know for yourself, if you've had a day when you've not eaten much carbohydrates, your training probably suffers and yeah, I'm guessing your mood probably sure. suffers a lot as well. <laughs> yeah, so it's really important for, for athletes in particular to make sure that if they are considering any of these sort of diets, again, it's speaking to the nutritionist and find out what are the potential risks associated because there might be some that they've not even kind of heard about or, or thought about before either. Um, so yeah, it's really important to kind of plan that diet well. And then it can be it can be really possible to, to perform well on kind of free from diets, veganism especially. There is a lot of uh, yeah a lot of a debate on that one at the moment on whether it's it is possible. But it's it's been proven there are so many athletes out there. I think Chris Mullins one of the big, biggest examples in football of an athlete who is still performing to such a high level. He's on a vegan diet. It's well managed by his nutritionist and by the club chefs as well. And yeah, if you've got that support there, it's definitely a lot easier. Trying to manage it yourself becomes a lot more difficult, especially if you've not got someone who's kind of well educated in it to give you all the, the kind of uh, the ins and outs on it and what, what the risks are really. Yeah, I think that is a big thing. If you haven't got that support and you did want to go a, a free from diet, mm-hmm. I guess is that big risk that you then turn to supplements and perhaps put yourself at more risk of if you're an elite athlete, uh, a positive sample. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. I think athletes in particular, one of the biggest things to think about when you are considering any of these kind of diets, um, it's probably energy intake overall. Because especially if you start looking at um, kind of the meat-free diets, the vegetarianism, veganism, anything like that, there is kind of like a, a lower energy intake associated with those because you're consuming less meat products, so it's probably got slightly less fat in other than, um, other than meat-based diets, for example. And so total calorie intake can be slightly lower naturally on those sorts of diets. So you might see that if you've got, if you've got vegan friends, phony chance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Are they, are they <laughs> athletes as well? Yeah, um, so we've got a... Our friend Jade is vegan. She's playing for she plays for Scotland and Harlequins, and yeah, she's like she's amazing. Like she's such a, a good athlete. She's so strong, so Brilliant. powerful, and obviously rugby's so physical. Um, and yeah, she is doing it on a vegan diet. How long has she been vegan? Like almost a year now. Yeah, but yeah. It's but like their intake would like would be more. Cause yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's exactly that. So then you'll see that if you sat down like vegan uh, vegan athlete next to. Uh, and I think he was on like a regular meat-based diet, the portion sizes would probably have to be completely different to give them the same kind of energy intake. Because um, on a vegan diet, it tends to be less energy dense. Um, so you would probably need to add extra portions in to make sure that you're getting enough of what you need in there. Um, and then there are obviously some kind of risks for um, deficiencies as well. So vitamin B12 is one of the biggest ones and iron as well is quite quite important. So it's making sure that you definitely get the right source of those in the diets. And there's, there's ways of doing it definitely. Protein is probably one of the biggest concerns that people have. I can see you smiling now. Jade, when I told her yeah. that we were talking to a nutritionist on the podcast, she was like, talk about where vegans get her protein. She said that's the question that she yep. always gets. Like, people are always like, well, how would you get protein? Oh my gosh, there are so many vegan sources of protein. People, yeah, people don't expect this at all. Um, tofu tends to be one of the, the biggest and the easiest ones. Any kind of like soy-based products. Vegan diets often revolve around these, so it's anything like tofu, tempest satan, um, soy milks and things like that as well are great sources of protein too. Um, but other than that, I think you can find vegan corn as well. Not all, that's one to put out there as well. Everyone thinks that corn is naturally vegan. Corn's not. Most of the time it contains egg, so that makes okay. it non-vegan, but you can get some, um, some vegan yeah. corn products. So that's a really good source as well. Other than that, nuts and seeds are good sources. So any nut butters, peanut butter, almond butter, great sources again. And then there are some kind of like protein fortified uh, vegan products too. So again, there's many different sources of it in the diet. You don't have to uh, kind of um, you don't have to kind of forfeit the protein intake when you do go on a vegan diet. It's just important to know where you can get that from. And one of the most important things, and I'm sorry I'm going to get a little bit technical and sciencey here, <laughs> it's my geek side coming out. Um, so amino acids, I guess you've heard about amino acids yeah. and, and things like that. So there are essential amino acids that our body can't make, and they're the little building blocks that we use to build protein. And if we can't make, if we haven't got those essential amino acids, it's more difficult to build muscle. And on a vegan diet, there are less sources of what we call complete amino acids. Complete is when we've got all of those essential ones in the food. Um, quinoa is actually a really good example of um, a food that is full of the essential amino acids, but it's really important on a vegan diet to combine different foods to make sure that you're getting all of the ones that you need. So things like beans and rice, for example, is one of the easiest and most complete vegan meals because it provides with you with all those amino acids, the essential ones that you need. So yeah, it's one thing that is really important for um, vegan athletes to think about is they need to combine all the different foods to make sure they are getting those essential amino acids to, to keep building the muscle they need.
So I guess if you're considering a vegan diet as an athlete, it's just top someday, like... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, get educated, definitely. And like we say, it just become more of a habit as well. So if they've got that little bit of the educational understanding, they can probably get more used to doing the shopping for the different kind of ingredients Mm. they need, get used to cooking and experimenting a little bit, because it it does take time to kind of build those habits and to learn how to cook some of these foods as well. I mean, personally, it it did take me quite a while to kind of learn how how to prepare tofu to the kind of taste and texture that I liked. Um, But yeah, it's it's a great one for kind of encouraging creativity with food as well, actually when you're kind of limited on what your protein sources and other ingredients are. Because a lot of your meals on Instagram are yeah. vegan, they look really tasty. Thank you. <laughs> they are really tasty, yeah. it's all happy. So, yeah, if I have to eat them, I have to make sure they taste nice. Um, yeah, again, that's it's been a learning curve for me, actually. I think I kind of set out, I wanted to just make healthy meals, but keep it really simple, which is why my, my main hashtag is kept simple. Um, but yeah, a lot of them are vegan or at least meat-free. Personally, I don't eat meat. Um, I do eat fish, so I guess I'm classed as pescatarian, uh, but even a lot of my meals don't contain fish either. And what I spot is that actually kind of like a gap of that as well in, in the market, and especially on Instagram as well. And it is a growing trend, but there's there's not a lot of the accounts which are kind of backed up by the nutrition side of things as well. Mm. And so what I did try and do is kind of make all these recipes so that athletes themselves could, um, could make them for themselves and that they are kind of meals that could support athletic training as well so they've got good sources of protein got good sources of carbohydrate and things like that so yeah that's why i kind of went down that, that little bit of a route really but happy could happy to cook meat i can cook meat <laughs> it's just that yeah i don't cook it too often actually so the other kind of diet that i wanted to ask you about was obviously there's a vegan diet where you cut out animal products but then yeah i see a lot on Instagram about like a keto diet which is where you cut out like carbs completely like how I don't know how like evidence-based is that sort of thing there's there's kind of like mixed research on it really there's some articles out there which support it they've done really good trials and have seen that there are benefits to it and then other circumstances where there's not Um, so it's it's really interesting again it's one of those where you have to kind of go back to your nutritionist look at the sport that you're doing the demands of the sport and it actually becomes really difficult to manage your energy levels if you are on a a ketogenic diet um, so definitely if you've got a really hard session to do at high intensity or it's long duration it will be a lot more difficult to keep your energy levels maintained just because carbohydrate burns a lot more quickly yeah. than fat does and provides us with energy a lot quicker than fat does um, so there's yeah there's different ways of doing it really low carb diets and high carb diets so it's definitely one if you're considering it definitely get that second opinion first from from someone who knows knows the ins and outs of it really I definitely I don't think I'll ever be able to Diet where I've got to cut out like, <laughs> carbs, carbs, sorry, really. But if you if you um, haven't done much about um, periodized diets for any chance, so that's that's one of the biggest things that we kind of advise now is that look at what the demands of your training are because you'll have some sessions which are harder or longer than others, mm-hmm. and if you've got a session which isn't quite as tough and it's not quite as long, maybe you can kind of cut down on the carbohydrates yeah. a little bit beforehand. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one of those, definitely put the thought into it beforehand, you otherwise could, you yeah. could find yourself in a bit of a, a tricky or even a dangerous situation, yeah. So I had someone who came to me before, actually, she was, um, she was a kickboxer, and she said a lot of her friends on the kickboxing team had considered going on these diets and were already trying them without any sort of advice. And obviously kickboxing, contact sport, all about concentration as well, and the, the brain relies on glucose for energy. 
and obviously you get that from carbohydrate and if you're on a low carb diet you're not getting as much glucose to the brain if you're not thinking well when you're kickboxing it's easy to, to really suffer from yeah. yeah so it, it does get so dangerous and it's the same in a lot of sports it would be the same in rugby as well if yeah. you're if you're in a state where you can't think straight and you know you get hit or you're not you're not aware as, as you need to be on the pitch it's it's actually really risky you must hear things like that and be like red flag yeah, <laughs> she, yeah. So she told me she went so a lot of my friends have gone keto and I went oh dear <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's it's really important I know I mean this was talking like a university team and there's not always that nutritional support there so it does get really difficult and that's when everyone starts doing things like the google searches and the instagram searches and it is easy to kind of get led down that trail of well this has been advised but not necessarily in the same situation same circumstance or with the same support so it is really essential to kind of get the really trusted information mm-hmm. and and the guidance on it really if you're if you're looking to implement that kind of diet i think we're quite lucky coming from rugby which is a sport that yeah, there is a focus on being lean and, and not having too much kind of like fat mass to carry around, but equally size is important. Mm-hmm. So unlike, I guess, swimming, where if you're a sprinter, you don't want any ounce of fat on to shift up and down the pool. We probably need that yeah. to help us in terms of like impact. <laughs> so like in terms of carbs and stuff, that's just something that would be part of our diet. I can imagine going carbless. Imagine. Like food is such a source of happiness for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think I it is for everyone. You can't yeah. yeah, you can't suffer by not eating the no. food. Yeah, it's quite <laughs> Yeah, like you look like bodybuilding, I'm like I'm so impressed and I think it's so admirable, like the, the natural bodybuilders, because i like I just could not have like that sort of like willpower to yeah it's it's it is really really difficult yeah. i mean athletes and just anyone who's in, involved in sports active people there are always challenges associated and there is a lot of kind of discipline as well and bodybuilders are one of the biggest sports, examples yeah. of discipline you know to the, to the highest level yeah. in terms of you have to really look at what your goals are and just be so strict on everything and personally i can do it <laughs> i've got good discipline but probably not, not in that much. no <laughs> Okay, so we've looked at specialised diets within the sport and we're going to move on to myth busting. Now I know we've covered a lot of these within the previous topics that we've discussed but we'll start with healthy eating and whether it's expensive or not. So I've taught in a lot of schools and, and there, I think there is a bit of a, an obesity crisis, not a crisis but there is a lot more younger people coming through that are on the heavier side and, and some of the comments that I'd hear in the corridors and things would be that well, eating healthy is expensive, or my parents can't afford to eat healthy. Let's help us bust this myth. This is a big one of Jamie Oliver's as well. So oh, yes. I'm sure you're probably oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So this is a huge, huge myth. It can be. That's that's probably the, the best way to start it. It definitely can be really expensive. Uh, but that is if you're choosing organic products it's if you're choosing the freshest products if you're shopping at certain more expensive supermarkets for example um but again what i always try and do is just say to people just keep it really simple there's no need to buy the most expensive imported (laughs) ingredients and the latest kind of um superfoods which again is another controversial term as well there's no need to kind of go to that go to that extent to get the healthiest foods you can keep things really natural really simple buy the most basic ingredients as long as they're fresh and they're nutritious that's that's kind of all you need really 
I think like with that in school, so like I remember being at school and we so when you'd go out for lunch and there was you could go to Baguette Express and get like a healthy baguette and that would maybe set you back four pounds or you could go to the chippy and people would get like a pound of chips and it set them back a pound like it is and I think sometimes eating out it can be yeah. like especially like for kind of school kids when you're at that age like it can be like basically like cheaper faster to yeah, take so bad options that's, that's the challenge with it and that's why I kind of like the NHS and, and the government actually is finding so, so much of an issue as well yeah 100%. is that if you look at if you say if you just went out shopping for example and what are your food options when you stop for a break you've either got kind of like the restaurants where you could go to a pub style restaurant and your more expensive meals will be the healthier meals yeah naturally um, you've got the fast food venues where the food is ridiculously cheap yeah. and it's really accessible and where do you look for the healthier options the healthier options are always more expensive and I think in on that side of things definitely prepared food if we talk of prepared foods they can be a lot more expensive and that's where people get the idea that healthy food is expensive um, yeah. but if you're to prepare it yourself I'd say it's probably cheap yeah that's cheap true actually yeah, yeah. yeah. which I know it, I definitely know it's not always practical and actually a lot of the workshops I deliver is kind of translating it all and going look I'm telling you all this about the nutrition side of things and giving you all this advice but this is how you turn it how you, how you put it into practice mm-hmm. and kind of giving people the skills they need to to live well and to eat well and I've, I've come from a background of student <laughs> you know once I was when I started this Instagram account I made that food and everyone commented on how well it looked and things like that but it was done on a budget <laughs> yeah. I bought really cheap ingredients one of the easiest things I used to do was just buy kind of like single portions of fruits and vegetables if I was to buy things like an onion it costs less than 10p yeah. <laughs> but buy a couple of carrots again costs less than 10-15p and it's it's just kind of like getting yourself into that mindset of knowing how to shop for the ingredients that you need and to do it kind of cheaply as well um, but it's it's definitely possible. It just it does take a little bit more thought and, and effort as well. Definitely on the prep side of things, especially. But you can do it. Yeah, you definitely can do it. So kind of another myth that we wanted to bust. So we actually. So have you seen the Netflix documentary? Is it Game Changers? I'm halfway through. <laughs> I haven't managed so the rest yet. Watched it yet? Recently, I've heard a lot Inspired us to talk about it on the podcast. Okay. But yeah, so a lot of people have watched it, and um, I know it's kind of going round like oh my god game changers and from that a lot of people are thinking maybe I should stop eating meat or dairy products and things mm-hmm. um, but then my housemate she's a, a sports science researcher and things and a lot of her colleagues are saying actually there's not much research to support what is going on in those documentaries yes I already when I, when I was halfway through so the reason why I'm currently halfway through and haven't finished it yet it's definitely not on my priorities of things to watch because when I was halfway through I realised that they weren't backing up a lot of the points they were making with evidence right Um, it's another case of here's a documentary that's making the most of a current trend yeah and people can easily take something like this in the wrong way I find as I'll always say the most important thing is to work out what works for you and what are your reasons for choosing a certain type of diet so I definitely have no issues with people going on vegan diets or dairy-free, gluten-free diets, but it is just really important to consider the reasons behind that and not to get kind of all consumed by documentaries yeah. or trends. Like like, yeah, exactly. And it, that is the most important thing to me. So I'm definitely not kind of 
discounting any benefits, anything like that of these types of diets. You can eat well and live well and be healthy and perform well on any of these kind of diets. Like I said before, it's just if they're managed well. But I think the worst thing you can do is kind of follow the advice given by documentaries or friends and, and things like that as well, or follow any kind of trend because it can be really easy to be caught up in it all and to kind of find yourself doing things for the wrong reasons in a way. But yeah, there are a lot of reasons for following those kind of diets. Definitely from a sustainability point of view, I completely understand that. And it's probably one of the reasons why I do choose to follow um, a, a similar diets that myself. But if you're doing it for the sake of you've been kind of converted um, by things you've seen in the media, it's not the best reason to do it for really. So I think final myth to bust, unless we think of any more in the next, we easily could. Basically, I wanted to mention like kind of like fad diets so, like herbal life and you get like now on Instagram you see like skinny coffee and stuff like people saying like you know if you like, like take a certain coffee it'll make you lose weight as I'm guessing all of that is I'm presuming it is not evidence-based there are very limited pieces yeah. of evidence to support a lot of these they're either done with a ridiculously small sample group or they're yeah. done in conditions that aren't true to life or yeah. in conditions that kind of favor whichever company has probably commissioned the study as well. So again, it's so important before jumping on any of these kind of fad diets to really do your research into them and find out what are the benefits, does it meet what your goals are, what are the risks associated, that's probably the biggest one. Because yes, for athletes, you could risk performance and that's massive and you can risk kind of doping violations like we mentioned, but the biggest one is health. It always yeah. comes back to health. You don't want to put your life in any kind of danger by following these sorts of diets. And often that's what happens. You put yourself at risk in terms of your physical health because you can end up I don't know, becoming severely ill by either having deficiencies in something or just by having some kind of reaction to a diet that you put yourself on. And I think one of the biggest ones that, that everyone's kind of thinking about now is actually mental health issues as well. Yeah. And it becomes so, so easy to kind of get into a little bit of spiral with, with poor eating habits and, and issues with food if you do start doing any sort of restriction or kind of hop, hopping on these fad diets as well mm. because they, they encourage elimination in essence. And if you start taking out certain foods that you're, you're naturally having in your diet, that's when it could potentially lead to all sorts of different problems. I think that's when there's like a lot of problems on social media. Like if it's like reality TV stars that are promoting like absolutely ridiculous products to like in, an influential audience and it's, it's like people that are it's like they look like that before like they mm-hmm. they're just getting paid to yeah they've got this rubbish yeah that's, so that's the thing by personal personal trainers trainers yeah, exactly like that. yeah that's that's what it's been is they've got personal trainers they're working out limited amount of time a day because they've got that much time to have exactly. like, it's not and it isn't realistic at all but then for it to get kind of translated to i use this product and look what happens to yeah. me and it's it is awful and it's it's now being more kind of tightly regulated but it's still nowhere near to the standard that it needs to be yeah which is it's a shame and it is putting the, the public at risk as well mm-hmm. um so on that i'd probably say the most important diet and the best diet for you it's a varied and balanced mm. diet that yeah. supports your own needs. Everything and it comes back to that, yeah, exactly. And it's what I was saying in the workshops. It's everything in moderation. You look after yourself, you listen to what your body needs, and you fuel yourself what you need. If you're mm. slightly more hungry, eat a little bit more. If you're not quite as hungry, eat a little bit less. As long as you're meeting your overall energy, and athletes in particular, all your kind of nutrient requirements as well then you know you're fine a very balanced diet is the most important one really mm-hmm. and once you start making those things habits you start cooking well from fresh and you really take care of yourself 
it just becomes so natural. Mm-hmm. So I think when we went back to the right at the beginning of the podcast and I told you about my, uh, my kind of like my background, I wasn't always ridiculously healthy. <laughs> Not at all. No, so I, you know, I grew up as a kid eating sweets and chocolates and, you know, all kind of unhealthy things I shouldn't have been eating. And it was just when I got a little bit more educated and I got a bit older and I got into sports, especially when I started to realise that this isn't the best way to be eating all of the time. Definitely I enjoy my, like, my little treats and things every now and again. But the most important thing is just kind of, like you said, that everything in moderation. So learning how to, to eat well and eat for what your body needs and then if you do that you've got room to have all those treats when you mm. when you um, when you've got the opportunity on that i do have one okay. more question <laughs> yeah. so when you're saying like eating what your body needs um as it is a woman's woman who sport podcast mm-hmm. do you find that there's a difference with athletes in terms of menstrual cycles and what what kind of time they let me rephrase this so where they're at in the menstrual cycle so there's always like cravings I certainly get cravings <laughs> like the week before I'm like I need chocolate or something sweet like have you found that when you're working with swimmers for example or not too much when I'm working with swimmers yeah um, probably because we've got kind of like a bit of a and people tend to be kind of quiet on that so there's still the big stigma around talking about female health in sport yeah which there shouldn't be because it is such an important yeah. topic exactly. with, I, I don't know with the period discussion like i think we do need to do like a podcast about it because like it literally happens to like half the population yeah. and yet it's like yeah. you, people don't feel like they can talk about it exactly but there it is there is still that yeah. so yeah. much that, that must have some sort of like nutritional aspect to it as well or is it It can do if we talk about yeah just in general whether it's athletic non-athletic yeah yes you do find that at times you might have more cravings than others there are certain foods that you crave and again that's just kind of about what your body needs so in that kind of phase that you talked about your mood might be slightly lower so your body's looking for what's going to make me feel happy and things like chocolate it's been proved to really yeah to release the kind of hormones that in the brain that makes you feel a little bit better so in terms of that, that's probably the reason why you do you do crave something. And that's why we get things like the hunger response as well. The body's a little bit hungry, it releases the hormones to tell us we need to eat a little bit more. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing, your body roughly roughly kind of knows what you what you need a little bit. If you find yourself slightly dehydrated, you might crave slightly salty foods. Yeah. So it's just, actually it's the best best example of it. Probably not the, the right thing to be talking about on a on a sport podcast. But so if you go out for a couple of drinks, for example, yeah. alcohol dehydrates you. What do you fancy alongside a drink? A lot of people like salty snacks. Yeah, that's so salty. Yeah, so salty snacks yeah. because you're dehydrated. Your body needs the salt. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of lost. So you kind of crave those sort of foods. Yeah. So yeah, your body, your body is so you know kind of in sync with what it needs, and it is important to just listen to those cues because yeah. you know, yeah, you know, you need to listen to these uh, responses because your body's telling you, okay, you need to get a little bit of something else. Because I turned to hungry hippo the week before. Like <laughs> <laughs> loading up. Yeah. I'm like loading up for the apocalypse. Like, <laughs> what's going on? behind it and yeah. it is such an important topic to talk about as yeah, well and yeah. it's it's a shame that more people don't because you end up kind of creating this little bit of a shame yeah it definitely shouldn't be it's, you know it's natural it's 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 part of everyone's health and it's part of nutrition as well and it has a massive impact like you say on performance so it's a really important topic to consider actually maybe another podcast yeah. <laughs> i think so yeah mm-hmm. get like a big panel over <laughs> yeah I've labelled it as that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even forget many <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that 
that we've really appreciated all of your input today and, and the kind of the research behind food view supplement and the different myth busting and certainly chatting about your recipes and things it's been super inf- in- insightful yeah I think if people take away one thing from this podcast, it's follow the kicking yam. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you for inviting me to come on. I'm, yeah, I followed you guys from the beginning, and I love the work that you're doing. So I really hope everyone gets involved and continues to help me grow. Yeah, that means lots. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Righteous among nations, because we are doctors, lawyers, mothers, footballers, first minister. Port Laureate, we're on the move And I'm telling you, the glass ceiling's going We're coming through Rise up, eyes up, take the stage Play your game, don't be afraid You're a work of art, or Jones of art Always be proud of who you are Girl, gotta hold your head up high Don't let this moment pass you by You can be anything you believe you can be Girl, this world is waiting so go and shine and live the truth You can be anything you believe you can be